Well, I'm grateful for your prayers for my health this last week. And I'm very grateful for those who stepped in to uh, fill in for me. It's a blessing to have brothers who are not only uh, available but gifted and qualified to to uh, do that for me. I uh, I I got pretty sick, and um, I'm making progress towards complete. Uh, return to health um, so I appreciate your continued prayers um, this uh, sermon is unique in that I've had three whole weeks to work on it because the first two weeks ago we had, it was snowed out and then last week I was sick and this is the third version of this sermon um, and uh, you may wish that I had a week or two more to work on it. I don't know, but it, um, it's a wonderful passage. And um, it's a blessing from God to be able to uh, spend time in his word and, and try to help us reflect upon it together. We're in the epistle of Second Corinthians. We've been walking through this epistle for about a year and a half now. And um, we come to chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, where Paul says this, So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. Here Paul is talking about the fact that each of us will appear before Christ on the last day when he returns and we will be rewarded according to what we did in our lives. Those who spent their lives resisting the Lord whether by showing no regard for the ways of the Lord or by putting their faith in their own performance, they will receive their just due, being cast into the outer darkness. But those who put their faith in Christ, not in themselves, their sins will be forgiven on account of Christ and they will be received into the heavenly places and they will be rewarded for the things they did for Christ in this life. This passage, and many like it, teach us that there are levels of reward in the heavenly places. And there are a number of references. By the way, um, did they pass out the scriptures? Okay, so... um, A lot of times when I'm going to quote a lot of passages in a sermon, I like to print them out so that you have them. And uh, I think it's 22 different verses I'm quoting today. So um, they're on this sheet. And if you you don't want one, don't feel obligated to take it. Um, But uh, he's going to pass them out. And uh, so just the Bible verses that I'm going to be reading in order are in this, on this sheet. 
So as I was saying, there are many scripture references which talk about this fact that each of us will be rewarded according to what we have done in this life. I'm just going to read a few here. Matthew 16, the words of Jesus. The Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Ephesians 6, as servants of Christ, do the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Hebrews 6, and this is an amazing passage. Land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. So here, the people of God are being, or people in general are being compared to a garden. And God the gardener waters the garden. And those who receive that water and produce a good crop, they get blessed. But... If it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. But then it goes on in verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. So God remembers what we do for him in this world. And then Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Their deeds follow them. That is, their consequences. There's there's blessings, there's rewards that go with them long after the deed has been done. For all eternity, we will live with our good deeds and the rewards that we receive for them. Psalm 1911, this great psalm about the law of the Lord. You know, the Lord is perfect. By them, it says, by God's laws, is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And that great reward, obviously, includes earthly blessings. We receive a better life and, and all kinds of different happinesses because we walk in the ways of the Lord. But there's also an eternal reward for good that we have done for Christ in this world. And then finally, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing... That in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Our labor is not in vain. There's someone paying attention. There's some future blessing, reward that's coming to us because we faithfully serve Christ in this world. Now, in, for the, from the person of the world, from his perspective, there's a certain futility in what you do. 
And you hear this all the time. It's like, what good is anything that we do? It seems futile. But for the believer, this is not true. We know that our actions are meaningful. Because first of all, we're serving God's kingdom here on this earth. But also, it's eternally meaningful. Because God's paying attention and keeping a record. And he will not fail to reward those who serve him in this world. Our lives are crammed with the watchful presence of the living God. Everything we do and think is observed and recorded. And one day each of us will answer for every word which came out of our mouths and every act that we did. And in particular, the Lord will remember the good things that we do even after we have long forgotten them. Now, how are we going to be rewarded? What is the exact nature of this reward that we will receive in the heavenly places? Well, um, first of all, the Bible is clear that our punishment was taken by Christ. There's no more punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus. But on top of the inheritance which belongs to us on account of Christ's righteousness, there are rewards in the new heavens and earth based on what we did in this life. And the Bible describes these rewards in various ways. And I will read a number of passages which describe them in various ways. But I want to tell you that it doesn't answer all of our curiosities. It doesn't really tell us exactly what we're asking, what we want to know. You know, how is our life going to be different because of faithful obedience or not? It describes in certain way, in various ways. For instance, in um, some passages, it talks about it being wages or rewards, like in First Corinthians three. 8 and 14 he who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his wages according to his labor if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives he will receive a reward he's talking about faithful ministry in the lives of others it talks about him in, in that language in some places it talks about it in the language of commendation or giving of honor for instance 1 Corinthians 4 5 Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So there will be a day which we will be commended or not commended for the things that we've done. Matthew 25, 21, Jesus tells a parable. And these words are very familiar to us. At the end of the parable, the one who was faithful, the master says to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. So there again is commendation. Matthew 5.19 in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, again, honor. And then finally in Matthew 18, 4, 
Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, similar. Then there's uh, language of positions assigned or chosen. Uh, For instance, in Matthew 20, verse 23, remember the disciples were sort of arguing over who was going to sit at Christ's right hand and left hand in the kingdom. And Jesus didn't say, oh, there's no places in the kingdom like that. There's nobody at my right hand or my left hand. You know, it's going to be one big democracy. Everybody's equal. No, he didn't say that. He said, to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those who have, for whom it has been prepared by my Father. So he acknowledges the reality of positions like this, positions of honor in the kingdom. But he says that it is for those who have been prepared by my Father. And here, we, we, we just bring up a little side point here. You might ask, well, is it for those who have been appointed for those positions? Or is it for those who you know, are faithful to serve Christ in, the, in, the, in their lives? Well, those aren't con- con- conflicting things. The fact is that the good works that God has prepared for us, He prepared uh, before, He ordained beforehand, like it says in Ephesians 2.10, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it's God working in us and through us to do the works that he has called us to do, that he's put before us to do. And um, obviously there's to some degree he has empowered some in special ways to do things that others don't do. As it says in Philippians 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Then there's language in other places of authority and responsibility, given special authorities or responsibilities in the heavenly places. Um, in the parable in Luke 19, those who are faithful, they're made to rule over ten cities, or this person over five cities, because he's he's they've been faithful. In Luke twelve forty four, um, in the parable there, Jesus says that the one who's faithful that he will he will set him over all his possessions. You know, he'll be in charge of the master's possessions. In Matthew twenty five, the master says. In the parable, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. So here, there's this idea of being in charge of things, being in authority over things. And then, the, you know, the words of Jesus in Matthew 6.20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So there's the language of treasures that we're storing up in heaven for some, you know, so, some way that that's going to be a blessing to us. And then finally, there's the language of friends. Jesus in Luke 16.9 says, Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So, having friends in heaven is, uh, you know, we're, through our labors, that's one of the languages of, of 
reward. So, you know, all these things, they sort of give us an idea of something, but they're not really concretely telling us exactly how our experience in heaven will be different as a result of our labors. But it sure makes it clear that it will be. I don't, you know, whether, we don't, we don't, God hasn't made it clear, but we don't need to know. We don't need to know. We just have to trust that he says this is important. Now, I'm not, I don't think that there's going to be any kind of envy or jealousy among God's people. You know, wishing that I should be in your place or even I wish I was in your place. Um, I think we'll enjoy and celebrate those who are in a higher place in the heavenly kingdom than we are. But... As Jonathan Edwards says, I think we would, we would, in the heavenly places, we would give anything to have done one more righteous thing for Christ and receive one more degree of blessedness that, uh, of what we're receiving there. Um, you know, there's a story about a beggar. And he would sit in the, outside the, the, at the city gates and people go in and out. And he had a big bowl and people would put things in his bowl that might help him. Maybe a few coins, but maybe some food, maybe a, a tool, various things that he might find useful or be able to sell. And, um, and one day the king passed by. And the king stopped and said, um, instead of giving you something, I want you to give me something. And so the beggar looked around in his bowl and he, he found four little nails at the bottom of his bowl. And he gave those to the king. And the king turned them into gold and gave them back. And of course, the lesson of it is that he wished he'd given everything in the bowl to the king, right? And that's the lesson for us. I believe that in the end we're going to wish that we had given everything. That everything we'd done, we'd done for the Lord. Because, because there's, there's reward, there's riches, there's blessing, there's fullness. Whatever it is, there is a promise that God is, will not forget what we have done, but he will reward us for it. God wouldn't have said all these things in his word if it wasn't a big deal. If what we do here on the earth doesn't really make all that much difference in our eternal experience, it would be misleading for God to inspire all these things in his word. We know that somehow the way we live our lives in Christ will have a major effect upon our eternal lives after the great resurrection. So much so that in the New Testament... It is filled with exhortations to live in love, in obedience, in faith, in order that we might gain reward on that day and forevermore. And you know, there, there won't be, on that day, there won't be anyone saying, but you didn't really tell us how we were going to be blessed. You, know, you didn't make all this clear. You didn't tell us what the reward was. And... You know, there won't be any of that. 
Apparently, there'll be no second chances. What we do here on earth will forever determine our place in the heavenly kingdom. Once and for all, we have a very short window of life. And all eternity is determined by, that, by the, what we do in that short window. The world thinks that there's only one life to live. It's only this. That's all we have. So you've got to get the most out of it. And of course we know that this isn't all there is. That we have a greater life to live. But there is a part of the way the world thinks that we need to pay attention to. In that we only have one life to live to store up treasures in heaven. It's only what we do for Christ here that, that is going to make a difference. And we only have one opportunity to do that. Our rewards are earned in this life. Our deeds in this life fix our role and our status in eternity in some way. This life you might think of as a test. You know, when you take an SAT or something like that, that goes with you for the rest of your life. I mean, you're allowed to take it more than once, but, but um, the, the principle, you take a test and then you carry that with you. And wherever you go, here's the results of this test. And that's sort of the way it is. This life is our test. And we will live with the results of that test for all eternity. So we should make the most of it. And that's what Paul is saying here. And that's why he says, because this is true, therefore, I have an ambition in my life to please the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, he says, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. You know, as, as Christian people, we have desires, and we have preferences, and we make plans, and this is all well and good, but as Christians we also know that our desires and our preferences and our plans do not have the final say. As Christians we are not my will, but thy will be done, people. So our desires and our preferences our plans are not our highest ambition. Our highest ambition is to honor Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. And that means that deeper and stronger than all the rest of our desires is a desire to be faithful to the Lord who was so faithful to us. To exalt Him by the way that we live. To bring pleasure to Him who came and lived and died for us. And this is the strongest desire of those who walk with Christ Stronger than any other earthly desire. Paul, the one who tells us to imitate him as he imitates Christ, is here before us a tremendous example of this vibrant ambition to please God in everything he does. And so... In conclusion, we, what we do every day has eternal consequences. 
What we do every hour of our lives has eternal consequences. God will not forget our faith. He will not forget our labors of love. He will not forget our steadfastness of hope. We have been saved not for a life of ease or despair or shame or fear. We have been saved for a life of love. A life of service in the power of Christ. A life all about Him and not all about us. Working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Remembering that it is God who is at work within us, giving us the will and the power to achieve his purpose. We are foolish if we don't take God's word seriously about how every day has eternal consequences. We should be careful about the way that we live and the things that we do and the words that we speak and even the thoughts that we allow ourselves to think We must take advantage of every opportunity that God gives us. And in particular, we should be abiding in Christ so that it's His life that holds sway over the words that we say and the things that we do. There is a day coming which is more important than any other day. The day that really counts. And it's the day when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that day, the reality of that coming day should dominate every one of our days here on earth. Martin Luther said, there are only two dates on my calendar. Today and that day. The people of God in this age are supposed to be preparing ourselves for that day. In Revelation 19, the vision of the the bride of Christ being revealed. It says, the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. You know, all the couples here, you know, we know what it's like to get ready for a wedding. All the preparations that need to be done. There's some couples here in the process right now of getting ready. And all that they're doing for that day. So this bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. So, you know, the bride knows that what she wears is like one of the most important things of the whole day, right? And uh, a lot of investment, a lot of time, a lot of, you know, different options go into the choice and, and now it says, it was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. How are we preparing ourselves for that day when we'll be presented as the bride of Christ to him? The righteous deeds of the saints. And that's what we're here for. And that's what we're, um, that's what the fruit that God calls forth out of our lives as he pours the, God, his grace, pours his word into our lives, that this is what might come forth from his garden. Only what Christ, we do for Christ will matter. Everything else would burn up in fire. 
all the things that we did to look good in the eyes of others, all the things that we did to make our to feel better about ourselves, all the things that we did just for some earthly benefit that we're going to receive from it, they'll all be burned up. Only what we did for Christ. You know, Amy Carmichael was one of the history's most famous missionaries. She served in India for 55 years and uh, her the ways that God used her are legendary. And uh, there's a story about when she was a, a young teenage girl and uh, something God used to turn her life around. She grew up in a Christian family and they had walked to church. They were, you know, close enough that they just all would walk to church, the whole town, you know, would walk together, gather at church, and then on the way, they were on their way home after church. She and her two brothers and her parents. And on their way, they passed by an old woman who was carrying a very heavy bundle. And uh, so Amy Carmichael's parents said to their kids in the kind of way that parents do say to their kids that kids hate, right? Uh, so you need to help this old woman. Take, this, take her bundle and carry it where she wants to go and then come back home. Well, that meant that they had to take this old woman's dirty bundle, you know, this, this woman that was you know, sort of humiliating to be seen with. And they had to walk, and now all their friends were going to be walking and passing them as they're headed back into town. And they're going to see Amy and her two brothers doing this humiliating task of carrying this bundle. And so there, she's grumbling under her breath and uh, resenting that she was being asked to do this. And as she gets closer to town, suddenly she hears a voice. And the voice quotes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 to 15. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. The work that anyone has done if the work that anyone has done survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. And she turned around, and there was no one there. But she heard that this was from God. And God was telling her, look, doing something like this is of no value if you're not doing it for the Lord. And that was the, one of the turning points in her life that eventually drove her to serve the Lord so faithfully in India for the rest of her life. So this, this verse and this concept of the judgment seat of Christ, and by the way, there's a lot that's been written about this. Uh, my own brother Jamie has written a book that's just about this, uh, This Was Your Life just about living according to the judgment seat of Christ, the coming judgment seat of Christ. But John Piper has a couple books that talk a lot about this too, Desiring God and Future Grace, if you want to follow up on this concept, because this doesn't get talked about enough among Christian people. But it's a, it's a passage and a concept that's full of challenge, but it's also full of joy and full of promise for us.
The fact is, God doesn't forget our work, even when we forget our work. What we have done for Him, what we have done in faithfulness, what we have done in obedience to Him, He will not forget. And He will bless us and honor us for it. He will vindicate us when we do what is right, even if in, the, in earthly terms we suffered con- negative consequences for it. In the, in the hymn, Be Still My Soul, there's a line that says, Jesus can repay from his own fullness all he takes away. And sometimes, you know, we have loss in this life. And we're tempted in that loss to be bitter, to feel cheated, feel sorry for ourselves. But when we bear that loss faithfully, we accept that God knows best. And we trust in Him in spite of the fact that something we loved has been taken away from us. Then we can live in the assurance that God will eventually repay us more than He took away from us. From his great fullness. Many years ago, before many of you were born, there was a song written about this called Thank You for Giving to the Lord. And it was a song that was a dream, a dream that one man had, sort of on behalf of a friend of his, where he saw he saw in his dream that they went to heaven. And that there in heaven, someone called his friend's name. And he turned and there was a young man who came over and was beaming and said, You don't know me, but you used to be my Sunday school teacher. And you prayed for me. And I gave my heart to the Lord. And your ministry has made an eternal impact in my life. And then someone else came up to him. And he said, there was a time when a missionary came to your church. And you prayed for us. And you gave money to help us. And that money made an eternal impact in my life. So thank you. Thank you for what you did. Thank you that you gave to the Lord. And one by one, long line of people formed as far as the eye could see. And each one somehow had been touched by this person's love, by this person's generosity. Little things that he had done. Little sacrifices he had made. Unnoticed on the earth and yet now in heaven proclaimed. And Jesus took his hand. As he stood there and said, My child, look around you, for great is your reward. And I, for one, have been the recipient of many acts of love. And I have seen the power of Christ at work in people 
who lived not for themselves, but for the Savior who purchased their souls. And I have seen that which cannot be explained by mere human desire to look good, but can only be explained by the love of Christ moving and empowering. And even from many of you, I, I look forward to the day when, when Jesus will say to you, well done a good and faithful servant, and bestow upon you riches of his reward that, that have been stored up as you've made choices for Christ instead of for this world. It is fitting that we come to the table at this point. This concept in this sermon is not a celebration of human goodness. It is a celebration of the goodness of Jesus. Remember that they came up to Jesus and they said, Good teacher! And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? For no one is good except for God. And we have to say the same thing. If there's anything good I've done, it's not because of me. It's because of the work of God in me and through me. And so we, are, we talk about this to celebrate Him, not to celebrate us. And so it is fitting, therefore, that we come and we acknowledge our Savior through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that we celebrate what he has done. For he's the one who loved. He's the one who sacrificed. He's the one who gave up his life for others. And all we do when we give our lives for others is do what he called us to do and do it by the power of his presence in our lives. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, the greatest honor of our lives is to be called by your name. To be the recipients of your eternal love. We did nothing to deserve it. And we stand, O Lord, and we say, not to us, but to your name be glory. You are a wonderful Savior. And Lord, we thank you that you love us so much that you even choose to use us in the lives of others. And we pray, Lord, that you would fill us so much that our lives would indeed overflow into other people's lives. And Lord, on that day when you give us reward... We will take those crowns and we will throw them at your feet. For, O oh Lord, you are our all in all. Help us now as we partake of the Lord's Supper to do so with faith, with gratitude, with humility, and with joy. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.